good. Um, being a lunch Sunday, people will be uh, filtering in with their delicious smelling goodies. Uh, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43. Uh, so last week we studied Isaiah chapter 42, which presented the first of what are called the four songs of the servant, uh, poetic descriptions of the servant of the Lord, a promised ruler who sacrifices himself to bring righteousness to the nations. Um, last week we uh, talked about how this first servant song emphasized the justice of the servant um, as he's establishing justice, not just within one particular realm, but within the entirety of the earth. And the coming of the servant represented a new thing in redemptive history that brought forth, uh, as we saw last week, a new song, uh, as Isaiah called it, in response. We also talked a lot last week about the people's condition of blindness. Uh, in, in many respects, this new song presents a, a picture of an old God. It's not that there's anything particularly new revealed in the song about who God is, but it's, it's more this, uh, this picture of this blind people who once the servant, uh, this person of light, comes, they see God as if for the first time. They see God and the new work he's done for them. They've been blind, we talked about, uh, in a sense, to the meaning of their own history and failed to recognize what God was about and calling them, and they failed to learn the lessons that their experiences with God should have taught them. Um, so as we turn to today, uh, uh, this new day is at hand, and we'll see how God will act on behalf of his chosen people out of the purest grace. It's because of God's special relationship to Israel that it will experience his grace. Far from being rejected for their sins or abandoned by a helpless God, Israel be will be delivered by the all-powerful God, and in so doing, he will graciously use his people to demonstrate his incompetence in comparability to the entire earth. So uh, with that as a, a recap, uh, let's uh, hear now God's word as we find it in Isaiah chapter 43. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, 
yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake, I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the desert and the wilderness rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not been burdened with your offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet, brought me You have not bought me, sweet cane, with money, or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. Uh, And I'm going to read the first five verses of chapter 44 just because it continues this section. But now, hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowering streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself 
by the name of Israel. Thus far, our reading of God's holy word, let's ask him to uh, increase its hearing in our hearts and spirits this morning. Almighty God, truly you are the Lord, creator of heavens and earth. Truly you are the redeemer of your people, the only one who saves from destruction. Lord God, boldly we can come into your presence this morning. We can come uh, and uh, deal with these amazing words of comfort and confidence. A comfort and confidence that comes not from our, our condition and ourselves. It's not because of who we are that we can enter into your presence so boldly, but because of whose we are, that we are your people, that you have set your name upon us, that you've set your love upon us. And because of that relationship with you, because you have given us your spirit, and set that spirit in our hearts that we can come boldly, not with fear, but with joy and gladness at your mighty works. That we can be witnesses uh, and your servants, servants who proclaim your name to the ends of the earth, who lift up your praise, praise of your mighty works, of whom we ourselves our living proof of your power to redeem and save. Lord God, uh, as we study your word uh, this day, uh, give us understanding of the text, but also give us great joy that we might uh, worship you and proclaim your name and to serve you with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul and strength. For we pray these things in Christ's name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, so chapter 43 uh, starts off um, with this uh, commandment, uh, this injunction. Do not fear. We get it both in verse 1, and then again uh, we get it uh, in verse 5. Fear not. Fear not. So um, what is it that the people do not have to fear? So fear not, okay, so what is there to be afraid of? What is it that uh, would be the cause of this fear? We'll get to the reasons, you know, why they don't fear, but let's first kind of spend a little time figuring out what is it that would cause them to fear, and then we'll get to what causes them not to fear. Yeah, Ron. Yeah, a time of, of trial and tribulation. Uh, you're exactly right. You know, earlier um, Isaiah used that picture of, you know, the waters are going to come up to your necks. They're not going to totally sweep you away. But, you know, this flood of the Assyrians coming upon the land is going to be like, you know, these, the, this river overflowing, you know, a flood. Uh, and so it's a, you know, he's used that uh, image as a picture of trials. And tribulation, uh, walking through the fire just last week at the end of chapter 42, uh, he used walking through the fire as a description of his own anger. So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle 
It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. So, um, so you know, one of the things he's enjoining them not to fear is the, the flood and fire of tribulation. Good. Yeah, Andre. Yeah. <laughs> well, as, and as we think about why is it that they don't have to fear, I think you're absolutely right. And one of the fears um, that they have to be undergoing, and we've, we've talked this, is this, this fear um, uh, that the exile is going to cause. You know, the fear that they're not who they thought they were. You know, that they're going to... Maybe we weren't God's people, or maybe this God wasn't the one who we thought he was. He wasn't powerful to save. So it absolutely is this kind of, you don't have to fear about who God is or to fear your relationship with that God. Um, and, and I'm so glad you pointed us back to 42 in that, the, you know, that verse there that is, you know, the tribulations that are coming upon them are coming from God. And we see that, again, at the end uh, of 43. He has that same, you know, he's bringing the, um, this destruction upon them for their sins. But in the midst of suffering those trials and tribulations, they do not have to fear that they've uh, lost hold of God um, because God has not lost hold of them. Good. thought I saw another hand. Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, so, um, so we're getting to, yeah, um, yeah, let's hold that one for just one second. Because, you know, why they don't have to fear is because of God's presence with them. And I want us to, you know, obviously we're going to spend a lot of time on that today. But, you know, I wanted us to first sort of start off, well, what is it that they would cause them? Yeah, that they're going to be cut off. Um, and to sort of notice the injunction is, you know, he's calling them by these personal names. Oh, Jacob, oh, Israel. He's going way back, generations, all the way back toward the beginning of their relationship as a people with God. And as they think about, you know, what is there to fear? Yeah, they're absolutely fearing that, you know, this, this long story of this family, um, up to this point, the family of, of Jacob, the family of Israel, uh, the family of David we talked about last week with, you know, the, the kind of, no, what's that, Ezekiel? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Bible study and, and Sunday school get confused in my head. But, you know, that the, you know, kings are going to come to an end, you know, with this exile to Babylon. You know, so they're going to, the fear is that it's all over. 
um, that it's cut off for themselves and for their children. Um, and as they, you know, as we're getting to what Teresa was pointing us to, well, why is it, you know, in the midst of that, would they not have to fear? Yeah, James. Yeah, and notice he's, he's continuing into this chapter, that descriptor we talked a lot about last week. You know, what was the fa his favorite word for them last week as a people? They're blind. You know, and he, he, he brings that, you know, you people with eyes, but you can't see. You know, and again, to sort of, um, uh, there was one time, um, you know, I've, I've, I've got horrible eyesight, but I've never had to experience, like, blindness. But I remember one time when I was a, a kid, I had like some kind of, you know, nasty eye infection or something. And I woke up in the morning and my eyes were both completely crusted over and I couldn't see. You know, and I was probably like 10 or 11 and I freaked out. <laughs> like, and you know, that that's like my one, and, and then like my mom came in and like cleaned my eyes off and like, oh. <laughs> but like, that's my one five minute experience of like blindness. And it was terrifying. You know, and to sort of to sort of have that sense of, you know, they're they've been totally blind to the works of this God, and they've, you know, um, listened uh, to these people that have led them astray. They've trusted in idols, and maybe their fear is that they're never going to see. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that you're absolutely right. It is a picture of the Christian life. I mean, the New Testament, you know, brings up this this picture of you know when you have trials, <laughs> when you have tribulations. Um, you know, Calvin um, wrote this on this verse: "The Lord has not redeemed you so that you might enjoy pleasures and luxuries, but so that you should be prepared for enduring all kinds of evils." And there is a, a picture of. Um, you know, you're talking about how, you know, the, the importance of, you know, in the midst of those trials um, uh, of trusting in him. And you sort of think of, um, you know, I've never, again, I, I hear things about quicksand, for example, that, you know, the more you struggle, the faster you sink <laughs> kind of idea. 
And it, I imagine it, you know, it would take an enormous amount of, um, of trust uh, in that principle to be still. <laughs> and that's been the picture, you know, the, the, you know, throughout this kind of, you know, the first whole half of the book where he's enjoining them to trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord, be still. You know, when they're threatened with uh, the, that invasion of Syria and the northern kingdom have allied against Judah, do nothing. <laughs> trust. Um, and now we're, you know, he's, he's taking it, you know, kind of, you know, if the first uh, half of the book was on, you know, uh, why they should trust in God uh, or the identity of God as one who is trustworthy, the second part of the book uh, focuses on this aspect of God's identity as Savior, as Redeemer. I mean, notice how frequently those words show up in this chapter. Um, and again, that's one of the things that I want us to sort of spend some time on is what's the picture of God that we're being given in this chapter? Yeah, this isn't a trouble coming, you know, like, again, I, you know, the trouble's coming from themselves. You know, the trouble is, is within them, in a sense, that it's not some external trial and tribulation, but this is a tribulation that's being rooted in their sin, um, which I imagine, <laughs> as they're, you know, being awakened or, you know, they're seeing their sin. Again, as the part of the problem last week we talked about was they were blind to the the things God had been doing in their, their midst. They are blind to the work of God around them. And now they see, and part of their seeing is, um, is seeing of their sin and their sinfulness. Okay, good. So those are all reasons or, or things that they should uh, fear that we see in this passage. So why do the people not have to fear? Um, they've got you know, plenty of reason to fear. So what's to be the basis of their deliverance? And this builds off what Teresa said earlier. You know, part of the reason they don't have to fear is because um, uh, when, when they go through the waters, I will be with you. When they walk through the fires, um, the flame shall not consume you. So um, why else? Why, not, why do they not have to fear? Yeah, Jane. Yeah, they don't have to fear because of who God is and what God has, has said he will do on their behalf. Um, and again, to sort of go back to, you know, the, um, the picture you gave, you know, the problem is their own sin. You know, and if we think of, the, you know, they're in this covenant relationship with God um, and, you know, a covenant involves two parties pledging things, and, you know, this is what God's pledged to do, and this is what they've pledged to do, and they've failed. Um, and they have broken uh, their part of this bilateral covenant. Um, and what Isaiah is starting to unfold is this unilateral covenant, that it's, 
their failure um, uh, doesn't do away with what God is doing uh, for them. You know, that he is acting on their behalf. Again, it's the, the, the picture of that he is taking their, he's taking the responsibilities of their side of the covenant or, of, or this compact and performing them. The temple's going away. The king's going away. Being in the land is going away. Yeah, he's stripping away kind of all the benefits that they've, uh, and as you said, you know, all the things that they've taken for granted. Um, and, uh, and rather than um, fulfilling the, their obligations, you know, again, that picture at the end of the chapter, they've burdened God. He hasn't burdened them with, you know, overwhelming obligations, but he's burdened. They've burdened him with their sins. Um, yeah, and so, you know, it, there's plenty of reason for them to fear. I mean, again, you know, I, I can only imagine, um, you know, to, to sort of, to have all those things, you know, to have a, a king of David, to have a temple, to have this land that God pledged to your, your forefather Abraham to give you, to have all those things taken away, you know, you would have to, it would have to be going through your head that it must be all over. It must be gone. Uh, God must have failed somehow, or it must not have been true. Um, and, and, you know, the response is, it, you know, who the God is that's pledged these things and what he will do, again, to redeem them to save them, to do this unprecedented thing of restoring them from exile. Um, you know, it's, yeah, that, you know, in the midst of it, they're tempted to, to fear that it's all over. And his, I am who? I've always said I am. You know, I am. I love how I am is such a part of this chapter. You know, it's, God hasn't changed. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, it's, it's this picture. He set his name upon them, um, which is why part of the reason I, I read into the first part of chapter 44. Um, this people that are being identified, you know, verse 5 of chapter 44, this one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. And, you know, this... I. You know, this way that God has intimately known them, called them by name, and set his name upon them. You know, that their identity is coming from their relationship to God. Again, it's, um, I, I came across the phrase um, this week that I, I really thought, um, you know, um, summarized this passage. It's not because of who they are, but because of whose they are. You know, that they are the possession of this God um, who has set his love upon them. And because he set his love upon them, 
uh, he will not let them go. He will discipline them, he will punish them, but he will not let them go. Yeah, and notice how um, the, the picture in the middle, um, uh, 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 I lost it. Um, you know, they end of verse 10, that, you know, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. So, you know, again, this part of this, you know, why this is, so that they'll know, so that they will have this faith this belief. They will have this understanding in who God is and what he's done for them. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, he's established this, this principle that, you know, there is no other God beside me, you know, and that, you know, what gods were there before me? There were none. What gods will there be after me? None. <laughs> I alone am God. And then he has, and I'm Savior. I, I alone am Savior. Um, so it, I, I love the way, um, you know, there are so many labels or titles or descriptors, you know, one-word phrases. Uh, uh, by the way, I love this chapter. I've always loved this chapter. Uh, and I think part of the reason I've always loved this chapter, because it, it does give such a rich portrait of who God is. Um, and with every kind, you know, we get God in all his facets in this chapter. God is creator. God is the holy one. God is the redeemer. God is savior. Um, he is I am. You know, it, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, piling label and title of God on pop, or title and label of God. I mean, it's, it's this, the emphasis of why they don't have to fear is because of all these characteristics that God possesses. And, you know, the, what's new about this argument is he's not just the God who is, is um, holy and the God who is the only God, but he is also a God who has pledged to save his people. Yeah, this whole section, 42, 43, and 44, um, you know, uh, it would be a little overwhelming to try to tackle them all at once, but they are all, I think, part of an unfolding, you know, um, yeah, they all, I think, are meant to kind of be read together. Yeah, Jeremy. So I don't know if you want to continue now or later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, 
So remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? So I think what they're, um, uh, yeah, um, what, what to remember and what not to remember. Uh, what, and part of this goes along their identity uh, 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 as witnesses. Um, that starts the section, um, so after the, this beautiful introduction, one through seven, we get this, this charge, bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears, all the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am. Um, so as we answer your question, I, I guess my kind of question to help us maybe work through it is, uh, what are the people being called to witness? Um, you know, and as we get the kind of remember and then don't remember, <laughs> um, yeah, what, what's the subject of these things um, that, uh, that, yeah, what, what is it that they're supposed to remember? Uh, what are they called to be, uh, being called to witness to? And I, I love this picture of, you know, if, um, if you think of a trial, um, I, I was, I was, I've been um, listening to books in the car, and so um, uh, I, I've been doing a, a novel kick lately, and um, so I'm, I've been reading or listening to um, Death Comes to Pemberley, which is P.D. James trying to do a mystery in Jane Austen's life, <laughs> or in Jane Austen's character's life. So, you know, you get Mr. Darcy and the Bennets, and um, Mr. Wickham is charged with murder. And anyway, so there's lots on a trial. And, and you know, as you think about, uh, and I was, so I've been listening to this this week, and then, you know, reading these verses, and I was like, yeah, it, what kind of witnesses, you know, you know, because what's the, what did you see? You know, what, what took place? What did you see? And notice these witnesses are blind. <laughs> what did you hear? Um, when did you hear the gunshots? Well, I'm deaf, so I didn't hear anything. <laughs> um, and so, again, you know, as we sort of think, what is it that they're called to witness for, witness? And, you know, what is this new thing? And part of it, it's these, these people who are blind and deaf who've been called to see and hear. Yeah, Andy. Yeah, and, and they're going to see this new work. And as I, as to get back to Jeremy's question, I think part of what they're forgetting is once they see this new thing that God is, is doing for them, there will be no need to remember the former things. You know, that this new thing that God is doing for them is so beyond um, expectations or precedent, um, you know, Again, it's this new work 
that he has done, we see in this, this chapter, that remembrance of the former things, <laughs> all those things that God's done through, for them throughout this history, that they've, again, like last week we talked about how they've been kind of blind to all the things. You know, once they see this new thing that God's done for them, then, you know, there will be no need to remember those former things. Yeah, and in light of this new thing, you know, they're, you know, all those former things. I mean, again, it's like the way, you know, um, uh, you know, if, if you have, um, like, puny sources of light. Like this week, I was trying to figure out, I had a random pipe that was going through my attic that um, I thought I knew it was the pipe to nowhere, but I wanted to confirm it was the pipe to nowhere. So I, I ran a, uh, a flashlight on the end of a snake through it. Um, and I you know, asked Dana, can you see the light? And it was in the middle of the day. And she couldn't see anything because <laughs> the light of day overwhelmed that puny light. But you know, you know, in the darkness, you know, the, this light, you can see it. You know, but it's the, the idea that this new light you know, is so bright that the light of all those former things you know, is completely... Uh, uh, um, you know, yeah, completely, um, yeah, you don't notice them anymore, you know, it's the way that in the brightness of this light of this coming servant, you know, that the light of all those kind of, you know, the glimpses you were getting um, before this are, yeah, yeah, are overwhelmed by the coming of the light of this servant. Um, so it is, I think, totally on this, this new thing that he's done, and I, I um, as we think about this, you are witnesses. Um, uh, you know, in one sense, it, it's just I was trying to figure out um, if it's just words or if it's it, you know intentional. And obviously, it's God's words, so it's <laughs> um, you know uh, you know God uh, is clearly um, um, yeah behind this. But when Jesus um, uses these exact words um, before he ascends. Um, you will be my witnesses, you know. Um, when it, it, you know, and is and then the Spirit comes. And notice here, you know, we get uh, you are my witnesses. Um, and then in forty four three, I will put my Spirit upon you. You know that will let them testify. Uh, so I love this this picture of, um, yeah, the, this picture of um, our response to this grace of God that in the light of this mighty work of God's grace in our lives, we're called to, to be witnesses to that, to proclaim that, um, to make that known. Um, you know, this glorious work of God in our lives and experience. Yeah. 
Yeah, in this, you know, um, the, the same way that, um, you know, we're called, in a sense, both to remember our sins, in the sense that we, we remember them, to confess them, and then the way we're supposed to cast away remembrance of our sins. That, you know, we, you know it's, it's the idea that, you know, we confess them, we repent of them, and then they're no longer, you know, we're no longer carrying them around. You know, that great picture of uh, John Bunyan gives us in Pilgrim's Progress where, you know, it's, we, we, once we kind of <laughs> recognize it and let it go, it, it's gone. You know, when we have that experience of God's gracious forgiveness, God taking those sins away from us, and there is no need to remember them anymore. Um, so as we think about, you know, this kind of call to remember and call not to remember, I, you know, I think it is in this sense that, um, you know, this, this new thing that God has done for them, you know, um, overshadows everything else. Uh, yeah, Rob. Yeah, and notice how, it, you know, we get that expansion, um, you know, in, in ver at the end of verse 7. You know, everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So, you know, he's speaking it to this particular people, you know, Israel at this time and space. But, you know, it's, again, all Abraham's children, you know, aren't just literal descendants of Abraham. It's, God can raise up Abraham's children wherever he calls them, wherever he finds them. And it's that picture that we're given here of God, um, uh, you know, raising this pe people up from the ends of the earth. You know, I, I love how, again, I, there's so many literary things about this passage that I love. You know, he goes around the compass, you know, that from the north and the south, the east and west, he's going to bring people, you know, every direction. He's calling this people to himself, this people that he has set his name um, upon them. And it's, you know, they're, they're identified by their relationship with this God. Again, it's not, um, you know, they're not coming because uh, these are the good people in every land. These are the people who, whom God has called from. It's not because of who they are, but because of whose they are. Um, all right, I'm trying to figure out in the last five minutes of the 40 more questions. No, I don't have 40 more. Um, of the four more questions I have, which one to, uh, which to, uh, all right, well, let's do this one. So we have such a beautiful portrait of God's grace uh, and deliverance at the beginning of the chapter, um, but the end of 43 kind of ends on a kind of downer note with God proclaiming, Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. Um, so, yeah, so what, what's going on there? Why um, start off with this you know, beautiful picture of this, this God, this uh, redeeming God, this saving God, this holy God, this gracious God, this loving God, this God of you? Um, and this is the God who 
will profane the princes of the sanctuary, deliver Jacob to utter destruction, and Israel to reviling. So what's the problem with God's people that needs to be addressed? God hasn't changed. Um, but so what, what has to change with the people? Or what's the problem with the people that, again, that's kind of preventing them from fulfilling their side of the covenant? Yeah, Ron. Yeah, he's demonstrating, yeah. Uh, and again, it is this kind of courtroom set. What proof can you bring to, um, to uh, yeah, show that I'm wrong? And, you know, what he's asking them to show them wrong at this point is that, um, yeah, Show to me that you're not sinful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Final answer. <laughs> Yeah, and as we think about, you know, there's this mention of the sanctuary and, you know, these sacrifices. Again, it's, it's the, these things are in place because of the relationship. And just because you're doing them <laughs> doesn't mean you're, uh, yeah, all the fat that you're bringing forward, yeah, that's not going to do you any good if you're, you, you don't have the relationship. You know, it, and again, it's, it's the... Um, it's getting to where these people's heart is. And it's setting up 44. We'll, we'll, uh, I, I read 44, 1 through 5, because I want to cheat and do it again next week, too. Um, but this, you know, they, they have to have this new spirit put upon them. You know, just doing the things isn't good enough. And in this case, he's saying they're not doing the thing. <laughs> they're not even doing the things. Um, you know, rather than, uh, and again, that great contrast, you know, I didn't, burden you <laughs> with much, and you're burdening me with all this sin and iniquity. Mike, you have your hand. Well, I'm going to challenge James on this. <laughs> Idolatry? Yeah, and it's the way that um, I, I'd written down, um, uh, sin does not merely, is not just merely an incident, you know, or, you know, one, 
particular incident that has to be, you know, that has to be dealt with. It overturns the very order or nature of the way things are intended. So, I, you know, you're absolutely right. It's not just the particular sin. It's the way that the presence of sin itself has to be undone, has to be uh, um, dealt with. You know, the, it's not just the incidence of sin, but man's sinful nature. And that's what this new thing that, again, he's setting us up for. You know, now he's telling us what he will do. Later on, he's going to tell us how he's going to do it. Um, but here he's, he's telling us your sin um, has to be dealt with, has to be taken away, or else things aren't going to change. And that's the new thing, is that this, this servant who is going to take their sin upon himself. Yeah, and that's why sin, you know, is so offensive because it's taking that glory that's due uh, to God alone and placing that glory somewhere else, um, you know, on self or on uh, things. Yeah, and it's the way that sin undoes what the intention of creation. And so redemption is a restoration of what God made us to be. Um, these people in uh, loving relationship with him. James, you want to? Thanks for that question. Um, oh, look at the time. No. Um, I mean, I think our challenge, um, in, in a sense, is uh, it's sort of like where, where they are, um, in that it's the, the thing that's keeping them from God, in a sense, is their very prosperity. Um, you know, their, their, you know, their, their sense that they're okay. As I think about, you know, the people I encounter, um, yeah, there's just no sense of need. Um, and as we think about the identity of this people, these are people clearly um, who, who have this conception of themselves as, as need uh, or in need, you know, that, um, that they're, you know, we think we see and we think we know and we think we understand and that the problem uh, of, these, of the people is that they don't see, they don't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. And it's this recognition that, you know, um, conception of self that I am blind and I do need this light, that I am sinful. Um, and again, it's that idea of repentance that we were talking about earlier. You have to have this conception, you know, as Mike was saying, uh, about, you know, you have to have this re realization that sin is a problem. Um, and it's not just a problem, oh, I did, you know, bad thing to so-and-so, you know, but that sin itself is a problem that has to be undone um, 
in order for, for life to issue forth. That, <laughs> in my uh, un, unprepared uh, <laughs> response, yeah, Andre. Yeah, again, this is the chapter that's, that's setting up that, um, that God will do this, and it's God alone. You know, there, there is, you know, as Mark said earlier, there is no other possibility of a Savior apart from this God. And, you know, and how is he going to do it? He is going to do it by taking those, you know, here he's just telling us what he will do. He's going to blot out their transgressions, and in 53 is taking you know, in one sense, it's just an exposition, exposition of how blotting out transgressions, how does that happen, and yet, you know, God still be holy and just. It's going to happen by him, you know, taking the curse uh, upon himself that we deserve. All right, well, um, we're at time, so I need to uh, close this in prayer. Uh, but, uh, again, th these themes... 42, 43, 44, they're all part of one big kind of continued passage. So, um, so we're going to keep unfolding these things uh, next week. Uh, gracious God, we thank you that you have set your name upon us, that we uh, bear the name of Christ. And uh, make us be a people who are identified by that name, a people who, um, who witness uh, with our lives as well as with our lips, uh, and testify of the glorious new thing that you have done, that you haven't just um, rescued us from our uh, certain material circumstances, but that you have dealt with our true problem, our sin nature, as Mike said, and that you um, have put your spirit on us, that you've taken uh, our blind eyes and open them to the glorious light of the gospel, the glorious light of your servant, uh, Jesus Christ, who has um, blotted out our transgressions by taking them upon himself. Uh, help us now, uh, even as Isaiah in this passage enjoins us to praise uh, in the coming hour, to praise and proclaim your name and to testify to the glorious things that you have done through your son, Jesus Christ, uh, in the power of the Spirit. Amen.